for the Raiders. Flying out to the right, and the Saints have none of it. The snap went to the up man, Matthias Farley, who was racing out to the right. Now, he was brought down at the 41. There is a flag down in the backfield. And it's going to go against the Saints. Dennis Allen is waving his arms to decline this penalty. It's going to go against Raiders. Raiders. Personal foul, shot block on the offense. That 15-yard penalty will be enforced in the dead ball spot. First down. Cars out of the gun. Raises his leg, snap, play action, looking left. Oh, throws it over the middle. Almost intercepted. It's bobbled, it's batted, and it's picked off. Pete Warner batted it up in the air, and Tyron Matthew on the third deflection dove to the turf and grabbed it on the Raiders' 45. Snap to Corr, looking that way. Lobs one near sideline. Adams has it in his hands, and he keeps his feet in bounds. And the official comes in to say, no, he's out of bounds. He made it over his left shoulder at the Saints' 48-yard line. They are having a conversation about it. The question is, did he get both feet in bounds? Third down. We might have a challenge. Yeah, Josh McDaniels is reaching into his back left pocket, which is where he holds his red flag, and he tosses it onto the field. Reviewing the play, ruling on the field with an incomplete stand. Raiders have it on their own 44, working right to left. Or under center, motion man is Hollins. Back to throw, pressure off the edge, steps up in the pocket, and he's driven back by Onyemata. He stepped up right into the defensive tackle, who broke through. Davenport had pressure off of the right side, and he drove him right back into Onyemata. The car and the Raiders facing a second and 18, down 24-0, nine and a half to go third quarter. Snap to Carr, Saints bring four. Eyes the field, escapes the pocket, now takes up towards the middle, and again he's collided. Ball is out Ball of the out. 30. Kentavious Street sandwiched him right into Peyton Turner. Back-to-back -back sacks for the Saints defense. No, no, no is right. We're here. We showed up unlike the Raiders. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared on a Monday. Back in action after taking Friday off. I actually didn't show up. I'm still at home. Yeah, well, for well, what you have here. a good reason. Here, you have a good reason, unlike the Raiders. What's your reason? Car, car, car troubles? Yeah, just <laughs> like same, the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. Same, same reason. <laughs> yeah. My car won't start. I got to figure that out after the show. But yeah, I couldn't get it to start this morning. Starter, kind of battery, alternator. I'm not a yeah, mechanic. Yeah, I'm going to try to jump the battery. And if that doesn't work, have to figure out how to get somebody to come look at the starter or alternator or whatever the hell Ooh. it is. It's just clicking when it does it. Jared, you're not invited oh. to do that. Yeah. I thought you were happening. just completely down because the Phillies stole one in Houston. Nah, Astros are winning in five. Wait, don't, uh, don't you want a game six? Yeah, I do. They're going to win in six. I know, but... I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to lose a game. They're going to dominate this team. <laughs> All right. They have dominated them. It's been a it's been a blowout for two games, except for Verlander deciding to suck for an inning. The first bite. What was the most embarrassing part of the Raiders' loss to the Saints? That they showed up and did what they did. That that was. A I mean, debacle on every level. I can't even think of the most embarrassing part. I tried to give you entire, some options in the open. Yeah, that's true. The entire thing was embarrassing, complete debacle. No way that they could have predicted that they would have played like that. Um, I don't know who prepared for that, what kind of practices they had, but that was ridiculous on all levels. 
let me let me ask you this because I'll I'll answer what I think was the most embarrassing part. But let me ask you that on the idea of of preparation. How much do you believe like that performance is because of coaching and not being prepared for the game? Hmm. Great question. Um, I just I can't believe they didn't go through the same preparation right. mode that they do every week. Right? They practice. Right. They yeah. watch film. I mean, it's you know what what do you do different preparation preparation wise uh, that you haven't done every week since and then you know there were two and four coming in so you could make an argument their preparation wasn't great to begin with but I'm sure they went through the same you know standards that they do every week or that they believe are good standards so you're right about that um I don't you know coaching is interesting that fact because you're always going to say that the coach matters most uh, other than probably the quarterback and it's, I think blame goes all the way around. I think blame goes to the coach, and I think blame goes to the players when you play like this. Um, but, it, you know, you can tell me your most embarrassing thing. I thought the entire debacle was embarrassing. So the most embarrassing thing for the Raiders is that every single high-dollar player on this roster was a joke yesterday. Every <laughs> single one of them. The Raiders this offseason went and spent a bunch of money. They got new players. They locked up current players, right? Derek Carr got a new contract. Derek Carr threw for 101 yards yesterday on 26 attempts, 3.9 yards per attempt. That was pathetic from Derek Carr. He couldn't complete a pass on the first two drives of the game. Unbelievably bad from Derek Carr. Devontae Adams, first round, second round pick. Here's a contract. You're one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league. One catch for three yards yesterday. He dropped the pass down the sideline, and he also failed to get his feet inbounds on another one. He didn't have that many chances, but he failed in the ones that he did have. I know this front office inherited Colton Miller. They didn't give him the big extension. They probably would have if he hadn't had it already. Colton Miller was maybe their worst offensive he might have been lineman their, Yeah, I was going to say, he was their worst offensive lineman. Like, we're used to the Raiders not having the best offensive line, but Colton Miller's supposed to be good, and he was awful. Max Crosby had the one play earlier in the game when he slammed Alvin Kamara down yes. and got his helmet stuck yes. in Cleveland Furl, and then I don't know if he played the rest of yeah. the game. I don't know if Max Crosby was on the field. Same can be said of Chandler Jones. Where was he? Did he take a single snap? I'd believe you if you said he didn't, because I don't think he did a single <laughs> thing the Raiders front office gave a lot of players a lot of money this offseason it's one thing if the Raiders come back and lose a game because Jonathan Abram missed a play or because Dylan Parham missed a block or because Mac Hollins didn't get open right it's one thing if sort of your depth players aren't good enough this year because the Raiders built a roster the very high dollar players at the top but when you have a game where every single high dollar player is off Hunter Renfro <laughs> That's where the blame is to me. Like the idea that they weren't ready. Like I'm, listen, I'm sure there's plenty of blame to go to Josh McDaniels and preparation, whatever. Like that's fine. But to me, when you have that many high dollar players and every single one of them is terrible, that's where the blame goes. This isn't, to me, that's not about like a scheme. That's not about, oh, our, our walkthrough wasn't the same or we weren't prepared for this type of blitz or this type of route or whatever. That, to me, is on your best players, your highest paid players. All of them were bad. Not a single one of them did anything remotely close to good in that game. That, to me, is where the Yeah, they extended goes. Renfro as well. 
Yeah. And did he, what did he get? Like, I don't know. Targeted a couple yeah, of times? Yeah. And on the one, it was the pick. It was the bad, it was yeah. the bad throw thrown into coverage and got the tip and the pick. Um, it, it was just, it was pathetic all the way around. Uh, and I, you know, you're, you're searching for answers here. I was thinking about this last night um, and you didn't see yesterday. Uh, who, who, let me ask you this. Who, who is this team? Who are they? Because that wasn't a professional performance yesterday. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can define who they are. Um, lost a huge lead to Arizona. Uh, yesterday was pathetic. Um, you see those kind of games, and I asked myself the question last night, like, who, who is this team? Um, so the, here's the interesting part on that to me, because, again, it was a complete disaster from top to bottom. So it's not like one play costed, but the idea of, like, who is this team? One of the things that I thought was fascinating from a coaching standpoint, from a, hey, what's our identity standpoint? This team over the last three games has been give Josh Jacobs the ball. Josh Jacobs is going to be great, and that's how they're going to win games. The Saints defense actually has been decent against the run this season. So we talked about it last week, like, hey, what happens if the Saints shut down Josh Jacobs? Can they win a game throwing the ball? No, the answer was absolutely not. The answer was absolutely not. But the fascinating part to me was that early in the game, third and one, and they run the sweep to Devontae Adams that gets Mm -hmm. blown up for a loss, right? Third and one with Josh Jacobs. We have for three games talked about how great he's been, how that's the identity, how that's how the Raiders win games. And on third and one, they don't give it to Josh Jacobs. They give it to Devontae Adams on a sweep. And fun stat from Josh Dubow today, uh, or yesterday, Devontae Adams did not have a single carry when he was a Green Bay Packer. The Packers never thought, oh, we got to get him the ball by a handoff. The Packers just threw him the ball because their quarterback was good. But they decide on third and one not to give it to Jacobs, give it to Devontae Adams. And then when they don't get it and get stuffed, it's fourth down. And what do the Raiders do? They call a fake Fake punt. punt. And what was it? Matias Farley is the one who gets the direct snap and tries to run for a first down. All we have learned about this team is that, hey, Josh Jacobs is having an unbelievable season. And that's the most successful part of this team is giving him the ball. And on a third and one, and then I think it was a fourth and three, they gave it to Devontae Adams on a sweep and then Matias Farley on a fake punt. That, to me, is the overthinking everything from a coaching standpoint, 100%. If you want to do a play-action pass on third down, they scored that play-action pass on fourth down against the Chiefs on the deep ball to Devontae Adams, that's fine. But if you're going to run the ball, if you're going to try to have somebody just run forward on third and short and fourth and short and you don't once give it to Josh Jacobs, that's just awful. And in the idea of who this team is, I don't think Josh McDaniels realizes who his team is. No, I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows who his team is. Um, I don't know what the identity of the team is. You said it. You said it perfectly. It has been Jacobs, but it wasn't yesterday, and they couldn't find a new identity. They couldn't find who they were supposed to be. It was not a professional performance. They weren't. They weren't professionals yesterday. That was absolutely pathetic on all levels, as you said. Um, you know, and and. and I think we have to find that going forward. I don't think I was going to, you know, write something later today. I, I don't think it's about standings. I don't think about who's next, you know, on the schedule. I think that, that stuff's out the window after a performance like that. They better find out, you know, what defines them and who they are as players because that was ridiculously bad. And it goes beyond like, oh, you're two and five, you know, you're last in the AFC West. It goes beyond, a performance like that goes beyond that kind of stuff. And if they don't find it quickly, uh, not that you would look at that game yesterday and say that they're going to do anything substantial this year. You can't walk away from that game thinking that. But if they don't do that, it could get really, really bad. Uh, genuine question for you. 
who was the best player on the field for the Raiders yesterday? AJ Cole. I was about to say the punter. <laughs> I was going to go Jared Stidham because he actually drove him in. Yeah, he actually got him actually, past midfield. Is it Stidham time? Is that tomorrow's first bite? <laughs> it might be. No, that might be. That's not. First you know, bite. I mean, after that, after the performance like that, I don't think any change should be questioned. To tell you the truth, I don't think he'll do that. But if it was Stidham time against Jacksonville, he, now he's not going to do that. He's not going to bench Carr. But yeah, you, your your question is not outlandish. I don't I mean, think after a performance like that, anything could be, you know, questioned. I know it was complete garbage time, but Jared Sidham threw for 72 yards on one drive yesterday. Carr threw a, for 101. A gentleman's 101. In, in the entire game, he threw for 101 <laughs> yards. Like, they're not going to go to Jared Sidham. No. And they, no. they probably shouldn't. Right. But for Derek Carr to be so bad that Jared stood him on one a drive in which they didn't even score, right? They they left twenty yards on the field. Yeah. For Stidham to throw for seventy five percent of the yards that Carr did is unreal that it could be that bad when Derek Carr is out there. I, I in all honesty, like what do you do today if you're Josh McDaniels and the Raiders? Like how how do you actually come back from all right? We were awful in literally every phase of the game. <laughs> we, our best player, Daniel Carlson, didn't even get on the field because we didn't score or even get in the field goal range. If you could have told me Daniel Carlson was getting me zero points in fantasy, <laughs> I would have completely disagreed with you on all levels. He couldn't even get the guy couldn't even get in field goal range where he's automatic. <laughs> it's just pathetic. It, that that is the real loser here is the Daniel Carlson fantasy. Yes, version. exactly. When's the last <laughs> time that happened? He's, he's probably he's what, before yesterday probably like first or second in fantasy points among kickers. Oh, absolutely, he had to. Yeah, be. and you're playing the Saints who have a bad defense. Yeah. And, can't even get a field goal out of no, the guy. They don't even get a, I mean, technically Stidham got him into field goal range, but uh, thankfully uh, Josh McDaniels didn't settle. That was the best part of the game. Josh McDaniels on a fourth down did not settle for a field yes, goal attempt while right. down 24 to down, down If he had, I would have been mocking that the entire day today. But yeah, there's your 24 nothing loss to the New Orleans Saints, who aren't exactly good. Coming up next, we'll get into some Golden Knights because they actually won a game last night. It's a quarter of a football away. This is quarterback sneak territory. Is it? Uh, now he's no. in the shotgun. Now they're in a the shotgun. They, they flank Mostert out to the right. Now they put Ingle. Ingle takes a snap as he went in motion, and he gets into the end zone. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Former Raiders fullback Alec Ingold scored more touchdowns than the entire yeah. Raiders offense did yesterday. Former um, backup quarterback Marcus Mariota. Well, that, that actually I think has happened a couple of times because the Falcons are winning their division this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's real. Um, now, the Golden Knights, they won a game last night, uh, beat the Winnipeg Jets in overtime. I will often come on this show and tell you that hockey is dumb. And last night was a perfect example. After regulation, the Golden Knights had taken 47 shots on goal. Winnipeg had 20. The Golden Knights had 27 high danger chances. Winnipeg had 7. The expected goals were 6.4 for Vegas and 1.9 for Winnipeg. But the game was tied 1-1 to and went into overtime in fact the golden knights were losing at one point because winnipeg scored on its first or its ninth shot of the game 
and first shot 14 of the seconds third in. period. Um, hockey is incredibly dumb. The Golden Knights dominated Winnipeg yesterday. The best performance they've had the entire season was yesterday, and they needed an overtime winner from Jack Eichel to win the game. What a play by Jack Eichel, right? Man. Um, that was that was ridiculous. Good. That was good. Uh, yeah, he seems good. He skated around for 13 seconds with the puck on his stick, which granted in overtime when it's three on three, it's a little bit easier. Everyone's you see that dead every tired. Yeah, a little bit easier than when it's five on five. But he skated around for 13 seconds. He went through basically like all four corners of the offensive zone at one point while he had the puck on his stick. And then without ever actually leaving the offensive zone, managed to create his own one-on-one with the goalie. With the goalie like, who was ridiculously yes. good. And then beat Connor Hellebuck with a terrific move and scored uh, in the final seconds to win the game. That was phenomenal. And like three on three overtime goal is fun and everything. Like it's not the most important thing in the world, right? They still had a point no matter what. They were still going to a shootout even if he doesn't score that. But that's the type of play you feel like, oh, that's why they traded for Jack Eichel. Yeah. That's why yeah. Jack Eichel's on this team. That moment. Moments yeah. like that are why why you go get him. Um I was there, and I just watching it was absolutely ridiculous because everyone just assumed it was going to be a shootout. There's right. ten seconds, nine, eight, seven. He gets to the, he gets in there and deeks him and makes that kind of play. Um, amazing play, and as Bruce Cassidy said, they led for thirty seconds, which was are they outplayed him for thirty seconds? Winnipeg <laughs> did, which kind of sucked. He said, um, but you know they stayed with it, and Stone gets the goal to tie it, kind of takes that puck out of the air, and uh, then they win it. So four in a row, um, I think other than Boston, they had the best October. And they're going to, it's like Cassidy said last night, like when you get behind early, you're chasing points. It's, you know, it's not easy uh, over the course of a season to chase points. But when you get up like they have, it's also not easy for people to catch you. And right. it's, it's still really early, but, but 16 points, eight and two, four in a row, it's a heck of a start. So, okay, here, here's, the, here's the part that I'm curious about because – I'd sit here and tell you hockey is dumb because the best team doesn't always win, or in this case, an absolute what should have been an absolute blowout is an overtime game. But what's been remarkable for me so far is that the Golden Knights have not lost a you know bad or average right. team this year. They have they have two losses on the year. It's to Calgary and it's to Colorado, two teams that are expected to be playing very very late into the postseason two legitimate cup contenders they're the only two cup contenders they've played and you know that's maybe an important conversation about can they beat those types of teams but every other team they played on the schedule has sort of been either a bad team or like a fringe playoff team right they haven't played very many good teams but they've won them all and even if you go by like the expected goals rates right They've 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 won the expected goals battle in all but two of their games this year as well. They even did it against Colorado. They didn't win it against the Sharks despite winning that game. So my main question is, are they going to be able to beat bad or average teams this consistently? Like, obviously, they're going to lose some during the course of the season. But is this a team that's just simply going to continue to beat bad and average teams every single night? I mean, I think if they get the goaltending, they begin, yes. Uh, and now... Look, I mean, uh, Thompson and Hill are not going to continue with a 940 save percentage. That's just not going to happen. But they have been a lot better than, I mean, as I wrote, nobody nobody could have predicted this. I don't, even Bruce Cassidy, there's no way he predicted that the goalies were going to be this good. Um, and I don't think that can, they're going to have hard times and that's not going to continue. 
But if they keep playing at any kind of high level uh, and they keep playing and they keep defending that they have, I do think they have a good chance to continue beating bad teams. And if you beat enough bad teams, you know, you're going to win your division. Yeah, you know? and, that, and that's that to me sort of the, the big part here is there are a lot of average to bad teams yeah. in the NHL. And if they're going to be better than them and they're going to beat them consistently like this, this team is is going to be, A, a playoff team, no doubt about it, and B, a legitimate contender in the Pacific Division. Yes. Like even if, in all seriousness, even if they lost every single game to Calgary, if they're this consistent against the bad and average teams, they still might beat Calgary in the standings because Calgary's sure. not going to be Calgary every might not be team. be beating every bad and average team. Yeah, like it's just like the the, the Avalanche lost the Seattle Kraken before they came yeah. and played the, the Golden Knights. Like that that happens in this sport, especially when you play eighty two games. But it it hasn't happened for this team yet, and maybe we're just in an early season small sample size, and it catches up to them, and we're talking about ah. They're going to have a, you know, January or something. Oh, they can't even beat the bad teams. I'm sure something like that will happen along the way. But right now, it's it's impressive to me that they've been able to be this consistent. Like, they like have they had a truly bad day? Like, I know Calgary, you know, kicked them in, crushed them. But, like, they haven't had a really, like, oh, what happened there? Like, every game they've played has been, oh, they've played pretty well. Yeah, and, and I agree with Cassidy. I, got, I agree with Cassidy that you know of the eight wins, none were lucky. You know, no, they won, not at they all. won the games. They yeah. they earned all sixteen points. They didn't. You yeah. know, you didn't walk away saying like last night. You know, they lose that game. You're like, well, they completely outplayed them and they lost the game. You right. haven't walked away any of the wins and said, well, they shouldn't have won that game. They got lucky. Uh, did you like Jonathan Marshall coming out to watch his kid play during intermission? I did. You didn't. Uh, I don't mind. No, I don't mind it. Oh, have okay. Kids, All right. Support okay. the kids. Okay. I just don't make me deal with them. Um, I I do wonder um, how'd that conversation go, or do you think he just snuck out? I just think he walked out. I don't. When they go in the uh, locker room, you know, they put the cameras in there. And those guys are just kind of sitting around and like lacing up their skates or anything. I think when you first go in, there's probably a quick message from Cassidy, and then they're just pretty much resting and sitting around. I, I don't think they're talking the entire time. So I think you know. Um, you know, he got the quick message and he came out. I don't. I don't even think he probably asked. I, you know, he might have told some players, "Hey, I'm going out to see him." But I don't. I don't. I don't think there's these long, drawn out conversations in between periods. I think they kind of give. And Cassidy said that you got to give a quick message, and you know, you go back out and play. So I don't think anyone. I mean, half the people probably didn't even know he left. I think. I think he said, "Hey, Bruce, let's wrap this up. I got to go uh, watch my might son have, play." You know, raised <laughs> raised his hand in the locker room saying, "Why are you talking so much? My kid's out there, and he only has." Because the kids only played five minutes, um, yes, so he still sure. had a lot of time to go back to the locker room and, I guess, hear whatever was said. All right, coming up next, PBRs coming to Las Vegas this weekend. We talk to Keyshawn Whitehorse. Kicks and deals, and it's swung on, hit well to right, going back on it, Tucker to the track at the yeah. wall. He jumps, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. T with an opposite field home run, just out of the reach of a leaping Kyle Tucker. And the Phillies take the lead here in the top of the 10th inning. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. PBR is coming to Las Vegas this weekend. The PBR Challenger Series is at the South Point on November 3rd. And then the PBR Team Series Championship is at T-Mobile Arena 
November 4th through the 6th. And joining us now is Keyshawn Whitehorse. Keyshawn, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. Yourself? Uh, very good. So, all right, I, I want to start here. Can you, because this is, it, it's a foreign concept to me. Can you take me through, like, how do you even get into bull riding? At what age are you like, okay, let's get on the back of a bull and let's get into bull riding? Shoot, I really don't know. I mean, I've I, seen you know, on TV when I was little and, oh. uh, you know, got on calves and stuff. A lot of guys, they start off as sheep. You know, it's just, I don't know, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of times their family members have done it, but for myself, I've seen it on TV and we love it. Uh, so you said people start on calves or sheep. At what yeah. age do they actually put people on a bull? Like, when does that actually start? Uh, that varies. Um, you know, some guys about 13, 14, that's when you first start getting on your bigger bulls. Uh, some guys are like 9 or 10, um, but generally around 13, 14 Keyshawn Whitehorse with us. Uh, again, PBR coming to Las Vegas this weekend. So what's uh, what's more nerve-wracking, getting on a bull for the first time when you're a teenager or doing it in front of a large crowd like there'll be at T-Mobile Arena? Definitely just the first time. Like Once you get that pass, you kind of got the jitters. But don't get me wrong, having that crowd there, sometimes it will kind of get you there. But the most part is So uh, I'm curious, like, what what do you think of the crowds in Las Vegas? Because it's a big deal every year when PBR comes here. What do you think of the crowds here in Vegas for PBR? I love the crowds here in Vegas. All of, they're attentive. They're always full of energy. And they're always a good, good, you know, good atmosphere for a bull rider because you take that and it's positive and you, you want to be a good bull rider. And they love it. I kind of love bull riding in Las Vegas. Keyshawn Whitehorse with us from uh, PVR. So uh, another important thing for me, because I know uh, NFR, when it comes here, it takes over the Thomas and Mac out at UNLV. And the uh, smell around UNLV uh, kind of doesn't go away for a while. At what point do you just get used to the smell of doing bull riding or any sort of rodeo events? Oh, shoot. A lot of us are grow up on ranches and stuff like that. So we're dang sure used to the smell of... Uh large farm animals, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, I don't know, don't take very long. You get used to it pretty quick. What is the best name of a bull that you've ever ridden? Uh, I'd have to probably go with Chiseled. Chiseled, okay. that's That seems a little intimidating, actually, if you're getting on a bull named Chiseled. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, usually then, you know, if you have a bull named Chiseled and you don't know what it looks like, you imagine it'd be big and <laughs> Huge and probably pretty mean. Uh, okay, who have you gotten the name of bull? Like, who actually gets to name the bulls? Uh, generally, if the owners get to name the bulls, sometimes they let other folks do. But I have a few bulls of my own that I have at the house, so I've named a couple, a few myself. Uh, Keyshawn Whitehorse with us as PBR is coming to Las Vegas this weekend. All right, uh, important question: When you come to Vegas, where's your favorite place to eat? place to eat when I'm here in Vegas. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just got to go with it. It's, just, it's not even just Vegas. It's just everywhere else. I just got to go with Chick-fil-A. Ah. Oh, man, of course answer. he that, said that. That's a perfect answer, Keyshawn. Every, like, way too many times in the morning I get Chick-fil-A before, for, before the show for breakfast. 
I eat there way too much. Uh, it's a great, great place to go. Uh, he is Keyshawn Whitehorse. Again, PBR Challenger Series coming to the South Point on November 3rd and the Team Series Championship on November 4th and six, or 4th through 6th at T-Mobile Arena. Keyshawn will be on the Arizona Ridge Riders. Keyshawn, we appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you guys having me on. So there is Keyshawn Whitehorse again, uh, PBR coming to Las Vegas this weekend, November 3rd at the South Point, and then November 4th through the 6th at T-Mobile Arena. That was Keyshawn Whitehorse joining us. Um, Jared, one of the things that I'm always fascinated about when we talk to people that are in, you know, the non-main traditional sports that we talk about is like how you started. And he basically said that when he was five, he saw it on TV and decided, hey, I want to do that, which is, I don't know. I guess a lot of five-year-olds might be like, yeah, I want to ride a bowl. But for the parents to actually follow through yeah. and decide, yeah, let's, let's figure this out. Let's get you on a sheep and get you going. I mean, I think there's also a level of, all right, well, we're going to try this. Oh, okay. All right. Coordination. All right. Where my parents were like, yeah, you can try it, but you're a bit husky for soccer, son. Is that a good thing? You think that's a good thing for being in, on a bowl, being husky? I don't know. That's uh, hmm. I hmm. I, I'm very curious as to what the cool down or what the like physical, because it's, it's an insanely physical sport to the point where like guys are just like, yeah, I got three compressed discs, but I had to go ride. And so I'm like, I don't know whether this is like a Herculean effort by these guys. Uh, or if it's like a man, you must really love that because you're gonna need neck fusion surgery. Uh, to be completely honest, I feel like in the next five years you will leave us because NFR or PBR has offered you a job as a rodeo clown. It would be oh, that would be something that eh, I do have a lack of fear. But are you allowed to drink on the job? I'm going to guess it's encouraged. I mean, why? <laughs> how else do you get in there and you're the one that attracts oh, okay. the bowl away? But if you notice, those guys are kind of wiry and quick. That's I'm true. just wiry. You got to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would be the viral video of the week where this guy just got effed up by a bull. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a long career, but it could be a fun career. <laughs> yeah. Most viral videos and stitches in his butt. Jared Justice. Yeah. That's what you do. That's what you do. So Jared Justice Rodeo Clown coming uh, to you soon. Um, Ed, have you ever been on a bull or a horse or any animal? A horse, never a bull. Okay. Yeah, why you? Not? It could be fun. I've been on a horse once or twice yeah. in my life, but that's it. That's the extent I'm of not it. getting on a bull. Why not? <laughs> what, are you out of your mind? Why not? It'd be fun. I don't think it would be as I'm thrown into the air and crash on my head. Yeah, you wouldn't be on the bull very long. You get a helmet. They put helmets <laughs> on you. You're fine. Yeah. My luck, I'd go. I'd be one of those poor guys who get uh, thrown off, and then the uh, the kick comes to the head because the bull's still <laughs> kicking right to the head, and it'd be, it'd be lights out for me. No, you just gotta you gotta learn to fall the right direction. fall the right way. Yeah, that's the key. By the way. On hits to the head. Have you guys seen the NFL players wearing those little white things around their neck that are supposed to stop concussions? Like, like the old style rolls? No, no, they... no, no, no. It's not like a giant. It's literally. It looks like, um, like tape or like a sticker, but it just goes no. around your neck. You mean during new new this year during games? Yeah, yeah. Like it's uh, the person I saw wearing it yesterday was Tony Pollard. 
Um, there's, it's like a K collar, C collar, something like that. Like it's, it's, it's got it's, a name. Um, literally the, I typed in concussion collar and there are apparently two different brands. There's the yeah. Q collar. Q collar. That's, I think that's what it is. Okay. Sorry. There's the, the top related searches. Does the Q collar actually work? <laughs> here's, here's this. Um, because the brain floats inside the skull, it moves, sometimes with great force, when the head is exposed to an impact. By applying light pressure to the sides of the neck, the Q-collar increases blood volume in the brain's uh, venous Ooh. structures, reducing the harmful internal movement that causes brain injury. Ooh. Um, ge- like, genuine question. I don't... I Listen, I barely know about these things until Sunday. If they work in any regard, why wouldn't every single player be wearing them? Well, yeah, especially when it comes to something like concussions. Yeah, here another doctor described it. He says this puts a kink on the hose, so the jugular is slower to drain. This kink fills capillaries around the brain, stabilizing it I almost would, like bubble wrap. I mean, also more blood to the brain seems like an advantage. <laughs> well, so one of my more interesting things I found out is that if you block certain like nostrils, it increases the opposite side brains like capability they did like iq or not iq tests they did like tests where like on the left side if you block the right your right nostril you score higher than if you were just breathing freely i do not understand how there aren't athletes just with a plug up one side of their nose (laughs) just like my hand eye is off the charts right now so is this why when guys get a bloody nose and they just stuff up a nostril they play better it might be actually that might be that's a great call so are you saying, like, if you're in school right now, you should figure out which nostril to plug to get the other half of your brain working well for, like, For your math test? Or well, yeah. or you block the other side for your art test. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you literally... Which side of the get... brain? Exactly. Which side of the brain do you want to stuff up? I'm, I want to get somebody to tell me, yes, kids taking the ACT and SAT stuffs Kleenex up their nose so that they can do it better. On and the they, switch, they, switch during the, they switch during the middle of it when it's, <laughs> when it's the uh, math portion or the English portion. But, like, in all seriousness, these Q-collar things, I don't know if there's a downside, right? Maybe there is. But if, well, if, it, if, if it even cut concussions down by 10%. They should I, all have them on. Right. Every single player should be wearing yeah. this thing around their neck that somehow gives them a bubble wrap of their brain. So uh, the study, the main study that they cited for FDA approval was uh, a study where they basically split high school football players. Half wore it, half didn't. The ones that wore it, 77% showed no significant changes in their brain. So, yeah, this thing, uh, three-fourths of the time, this thing protects your brain. So I don't understand, after all the stories we've heard, why you wouldn't be like... Coach, why don't we have these? Well, C- can I have one? Here's the part that's going to be fascinating. Head injuries and football have been a major storyline in this sport for, what are we, like on a decade now, right? And it's obviously Tua happened this year. Right. If right. the answer right. is simply... photographer that Adams took out. If the answer is simply, <laughs> hey, we just need to put a little pressure around your neck and then you're good to go, if that's really the... the that's all it takes, that's incredible for the sport of football. it should be demanded oh my yeah. god like that's not even like a super advanced that's just no. hey if we put some yeah. pressure on your neck your your brain's fine i it seems too simple to be the right answer but i kind of hope that that is the answer all right 
We got something to give away that we did not do on Friday because we didn't do a show. Six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs. Plus, you'll be qualified to win a Yeti cooler from Finley Volvo Cars. That gets given away today. So you'll win right now the six-foot sub from Porta Subs, and you'll have a shot at winning a new Yeti cooler. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. Caller number six right now will win a six-foot sub from Porta Subs. Fresh 14, and Russ did the smart thing. Brought it right back up. Here goes Russ with the left hand. Russell, Westbrook, left hand. Lakers are on their way to their first win of the year. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. The Lakers got their first win of the season yesterday. They were the last team in the NBA to get a win, but they won again, or they won a game. Uh, Russell Westbrook has come off the bench in the last two for the Lakers. So they took them all of, what, four games to decide, hey, this guy should come off the bench. And they actually got a win yesterday. I think it was a, they shot like 45% from three last night. Huh. Uh, they hadn't they done had that. Been, yeah, they had been shooting in the 20s, uh, like every single game until last night. So if they're suddenly a 40% three-point shooting team, they're oh, going to win a lot of games. going to be a lot better. <laughs> That's probably not going to be who they are. Don't think so. Um, now, something that happened uh, on Friday that uh, is very interesting in the NBA. The NBA owners apparently want a hard salary cap. Um, oh, God. Adrian Wojnarowski had a report about the NBA pursuing, the way he phrased it, an upper spending limit, which is a salary cap without saying the word salary cap because I guess they're afraid of those words. Uh, but it is a salary cap. Right now, the, the way the NBA works, there is technically a salary cap, but... You can exceed it, and you can pay a luxury tax, tax yeah. over the salary sure. cap. And the other key here is regardless of how much money you have spent, you can always re-sign your own players. If you draft a guy and you're, you know, oh, like the Warriors, $100 million or whatever they are over the cap, but you drafted Jordan Poole and he's good and he's worth a big contract, you can always give him that big contract if he's your player. You can't go out and sign a free agent for that same amount, but you can always go out and sign your players. If the NBA put in an actual hard salary cap, then you wouldn't be able to sign your players no matter what. It'd be like hockey, where there's a hard salary cap and you have to abide by it no matter what. Now Who you're is paying this for? You're, you're paying the tax even if you're paying your even if you're paying your own guys? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once you go over whatever the, the doesn't matter who is. you're paying, doesn't matter what yeah. the contract is. Yeah. yeah, irrelevant. You're paying the tax regardless of of who you're giving that. So money to. they're saying Golden State, Brooklyn, and Clippers have been cited for abusing the current system. That's just paying their guys way too much over the cap. Yeah. Yeah, pretty I mean, much. I mean, the Warriors. Players. The Warriors are the most recent ones um, because they gave Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole. The, the big deal, yeah. and um, Wiggins got one too because when they traded for Wiggins, they technically got his bird rights. Um, even though they didn't actually draft him. So the 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 Warriors are sort of the the recent problem that you would look at because they're going to be spending so much more money than just about every other team in the NBA. But part of it, like with the Warriors, you kind of look at it and say, I, I don't know like why anybody would have a problem with the way the Warriors have spent their money because 
their entire roster is basically guys they have drafted. Yeah. Like it's homegrown. Yeah. Like the only yeah. guy is Wiggins and they traded for him before he was done on his rookie deal or whatever it was. And that's why they got his bird rights. Like that to me, like if, if I was an NBA owner, sure. I might not be happy that the Warriors are going to spend hundreds of millions more than me. And I'm supposed to compete. But I also look at that and say, well, if my team nails the draft over and over and over and we build a championship team, I better be able to keep that roster together. And if they put in a hard cap, you're not keeping that no, roster together. No, you're not keeping it at all. It's not a shock the union doesn't want this thing. Well, no, no. What a the player, no <laughs> the chance. The players, want, no, players yeah. want nothing to do with a hard cap yeah. for obvious my, reasons. My question is, do any of the fans, like, do you want your, like, I don't. Not if I'm a Warrior fan. Well, but even even if you're not, it's I guess in my mind I'm just not understanding every sport that has a cap. I don't understand the concept of whoa, whoa, guys. Tim doesn't want to spend any money, so we got to make sure that the one guy who just wants to own a team and never compete doesn't have to spend up to the money. See, here, here's the thing, Jared. If you're a fan of a team that has an owner that doesn't want to spend a lot of money, you want a salary cap. Because, oh, absolutely. Because like, then the like, others I, can't like I've get, said on the show, we get that far ahead of you. Yeah, like I've said on the show all the time, the, one of the crappy parts about being a fan is when your owner sucks, because that's the one thing that doesn't change, right? Bad general managers, bad head coaches, bad players; those change frequently. But if you have a bad owner, or in this case, a cheap owner, that that doesn't hey, that hey, doesn't change. Those two are the same thing. Stop <laughs> stop ripping the Las Vegas A owner A's owner Fisher. Come on, stop stop like, ripping him. It doesn't, it doesn't change. So if you are a fan of a team that has a cheap owner, it's more likely that the, the NBA puts in a salary cap than it is that you're, that owner gets out of the league because they don't get out of the league unless they say something racist. And which I guess you're cheering for your owner to say something racist at that point. Hey, so, so, so what you're saying is Elon Musk, by buying Twitter, actually helped us all. <laughs> so I, I think that would be, if I was a fan, that would be why. Now... If I'm starting any sort of professional sports league from scratch, then no, I don't want a salary cap. Let the no, rich people not. spend all their money. And Let them spend yeah. all their dough. It, right. I guess just to me, there's the the one example I have is baseball, where we have a different, except for I guess the Astros going That's and right. the Dodgers going and losing. We we literally went like Royals, Cubs, the Nationals somehow. Like literally, we would we. Even with the, the Braves won. Yeah. We have we don't have a salary cap. You can spend all the money and the Yankees are out in the first freaking round. <laughs> the key in baseball is that the playoffs are enough of a crapshoot that <laughs> teams will win. Like in basketball it doesn't, 30. it does not happen. There are like just not upsets in the NBA playoffs. It just it, it doesn't happen to where you would have uh, you know, your low budget team scratch together some high on base percentage guys to win a series. It just doesn't happen in basketball. You have to be better than your opponent 99% of the time. So I, Ed, do you think I like giving you five seconds here? Do you think they actually get a hard cap in? No, I don't think they do. Yeah. I'd I don't be think surprised the union if allows they do. It. I don't it think just that seems happens. Foreign to the NBA.